Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician and holistic adult and child psychiatrist. In today's episode, I'll be talking about why teens who are high achievers are considered to be in the same risk category for depression and anxiety as those teens who are experiencing poverty, trauma, and discrimination. The youth that our culture would describe as having it all, it appears, are in the same boat as far as well-being as the youth who are having the greatest adversity. This makes sense when you consider that teens who are experiencing poverty, trauma, and discrimination, as well as the high achievers, are all at risk of chronic stress. We know there are many ways that chronic stress can impact the body and the brain. But if you think of the high-achieving teen, you may quickly imagine helicopter parents pushing them all the way. More often than not, parents of high-achieving teens are also high-achieving and accomplished. So it must be the environment, we think. Though I'll be talking about the impact of parents, schools, coaches, and our culture, I'll also be talking about a biochemical difference that can be found in many, if not most, of these high-achieving teens. The same would apply for accomplished adults. This genetically acquired biochemical imbalance or difference would not only contribute to their high achievement, but also to their vulnerabilities to depression and anxiety. This biochemical difference is called undermethylation. In this podcast, I discuss associated diagnoses and traits found in many high-achieving teens. I'll be talking about the role of parents, coaches, schools, I'll also talk about the inherent personality traits and undermethylation, how this impacts neurotransmitter activity, and what we can do about all of these factors. To put this in a bigger perspective, keep in mind that two-thirds of high schoolers report depressive symptoms according to the CDC. This was in 2017 before covid Research showed that this got much worse during COVID, and now with some normalization of activities, it's to be seen how this will impact the rates of depressive symptoms. But what about high-achieving teens specifically? One study looked at data from nine top-performing private and public high schools and found that students experience clinically significant elevated symptoms of anxiety and depression at a rate six to seven times national norms. The Robert Wood Foundation in 2018 named the top environmental conditions harming adolescent wellness. Among them were poverty, trauma, discrimination, and excessive pressure to excel. In 2019, a census report by the National Academies of Sciences added youths in high-achieving schools to their list of at-risk groups along with kids living in poverty and foster care, recent immigrants, and those with incarcerated parents. Symptoms that have been found to be higher in high-achieving youth include depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and delinquency. Research shows that in some affluent communities, students are consuming alcohol and drugs and suffer from addiction at significantly higher rates than the general population. And part of this, I'll argue, could be due to undermethylation. Traits we might see in high-achieving youth include perfectionism, 
being strong-willed, self-motivated, competitive, and there may or may not be a tendency towards technical fields such as areas of math and sciences. So when I mention perfectionism, just keep in mind that from my perspective, that is a fear-based character trait. So what are the factors contributing to brain-related symptoms in this specific group? So I'll start with the obvious and then move towards the less obvious. First, the basics. If you are taking, for example, many AP classes, doing a competitive sport, involved in a lot of clubs and doing service hours, it is unlikely that there will be adequate time for sleep, downtime, time to sit down for meals, and really connect with family and friends. So what about environmental factors? And I'll start with parents, and I would say that many high-achieving teens have parents who are accomplished themselves. They may also be competitive-driven and may also struggle with perfectionism. And I am a parent, and I actually happen to be undermethylated. So I'll go through things that could apply to some of us as parents, and they may not apply to all of us. But maybe we want our child to do as well or better as our friend's children. Maybe we are overly invested in our child's success. Maybe we are very busy trying to keep up with the culture, and there's not enough time for listening and being present. Maybe instead of focusing on family conversations, the focus has become grades, practices, and anticipating the college application process. Maybe family time is spent running to sports activities and not being together at meals. We're likely not thinking about how our children's brains are inevitably being wired for this way of life. And I love Annie Dillard's quote, the way we spend our days, of course, is the way we spend our lives. And not maybe, but definitely as parents, we are against multiple profit-driven forces that are making our children and teens vulnerable to sickness and brain-related symptoms. What about school? How does school play a role in these high-achieving students' vulnerability to mental health issues. There's a high focus on standardized tests, which is obvious, as well as college admissions, often to prestigious schools. School administrators are being judged by the success of their students, and this pressure trickles down to the students. There is a strong emphasis on competition. Friends are competing against one another academically, in sports, and in music. There can be excessive clubs, practices, rehearsals, and homework, all of which can become a means to an end rather than a way to discover interest and learn for the sake of learning or to simply be with friends and have fun. And the paradox of this is that those who are most successful find deep meaning and purpose in their work. They are not just checking the boxes something that we are training our children and teenagers to do. Also problematic in the school setting can be the online grade portals that can fuel hypervigilance and excessive checking of grades. There is the very common and obvious honoring of academic achievement over character. 
There's excessive advanced classes in some schools, and sadly in other schools, there is a lack of advanced classes available. Challenge Success is a research-based organization affiliated with Stanford, and they surveyed 43,000 students and found that 75% of high school students and 50% of middle school students claim they often or always feel stressed about homework, and greater than two-thirds of high school students often or always feel stressed about getting into college. Coaches and sporting activities can also be playing into the mix. The personal and professional success of a coach is very much entangled with the performance of student-athletes. The teams are often filled with people that are at a higher level, and there's little option for people to enter into sports activities just for the sake of fun. And if you can't have fun when you're still a teenager, then when are you going to have fun? All the fun goes to fear for our child's future. The paradox being that those who can have fun are typically those who are thriving and turn out to be the most successful in the most well-rounded sense. They know how to play and they know how to work hard. So our culture can also contribute. No generation of teens have been more marketed to than this generation. They have been exposed to media and marketing forces since their very beginnings, something that many of us were protected by by law. This changed in the 80s and continues to grow exponentially, especially with cell phones coming onto the forefront. There's too much to say about cell phones in this particular podcast, but I'll save that for another later podcast. But we all know that the cultural values that are being instilled in youth are money, prestige, and physical attractiveness. The heroes at this time in history aren't heroes because of personal sacrifice for the larger good. They're heroes because of their sports fame, celebrity, and wealth. Such expectations leave teens fearing that they are failures if they're not set to achieve those cultural values. So these amazing humans with very unique abilities are left feeling their worth is tied to their grades, their wins, and their acceptance to particular colleges. As with all teens, there are the social pressures and the role that COVID has played. There's also stress on these teens when it comes to the rapid changes in the economy, technology, and globalization. No one knows what the world will look like or what kind of world our children should be educated towards. The experience that I just described for teens only reinforces the inherent personality traits that many of these high-achieving teens already have, traits that I argue relate to undermethylation, and those traits include perfectionism, being strong-willed and competitive, all of which can contribute to achievement in our culture. Though undermethylation is considered a biochemical imbalance, someone does not have to have a psychiatric condition to be undermethylated. So in the general population, 30% of people have a methylation imbalance, most of which are undermethylated. In people with serious psychiatric conditions, 70% of people have a methylation imbalance. 
And again, most of these individuals will be undermethylated. So I do talk about undermethylation in an earlier podcast. And I also talk about methylation in the podcast about Dr. William Walsh. So methylation is a biochemical process in the body. There are a number of genes that collectively determine how much we methylate. If you've heard of the MTHFR gene, that is one of the most important genes involved, but not the only one. Methylation is determined by the sum of how all these genes are working together. How well we methylate can determine our vulnerability to toxicity and inflammation and can impact the expression of certain genes that play a role in neurotransmitter activity. So neurotransmitters are the chemicals that help our nerves communicate with one another. And the neurotransmitters specifically and mostly involved is serotonin, but dopamine and norepinephrine can be as well. So this later point is why there is a higher prevalence of psychiatric conditions in those who are undermethylated. We also need methylation to break down histamine. So very often people who are undermethylated will have problems with allergies. So as I go through the symptoms and traits of undermethylation, I think you'll be able to see the relationship with achievement and high accomplishment. This comes out of the work of Dr. William Walsh and the Walsh Research Institute, who studied the biochemistry's nutrient levels and traits and symptoms of 30,000 people with brain-related symptoms. So this low serotonin activity and even low dopamine activity can contribute to some of these symptoms and traits. So being competitive and perfectionistic, strong-willed, having a calm exterior but high inner tension. So it may not be obvious when someone is uh, struggling with depression and anxiety if they're under-methylated. There can be addictive tendencies. There may be obsessive-compulsive traits. And there often is a family history of high accomplishment, likely due to parents and even grandparents being under-methylated. These individuals tend to have low methyl and high folate, and as I mentioned, low neurotransmitter activity. They often respond well to medications that increase serotonin activity, and they often get worse with things that would be increasing folate. So multivitamins typically have folate. A plant-based diet that has a lot of high folate foods can be problematic for these individuals. And while there are a small handful of biochemical imbalances that we tend to see when it comes to these nutrient levels, undermethylation is one of them. It's not uncommon for someone who's undermethylated to have one of the other imbalances, such as high copper, high pyrroles, and low zinc. They would not have overmethylation because that is a, an opposite condition. Undermethylation is the most common biochemical imbalance when it comes to depression. So what can we do to help these teens, and really all teens, and to lower the risk of depression and anxiety? Some would suggest that we change the societal view of success, which I would see as quite unlikely and impractical. But I would say that we can focus on helping teens to think more critically about societal views of success. So as parents, we can start with reflecting on our own role 
and what our teens may value in their lives. We really need to be conscious about fighting all the messages coming from other sources that we have less control of, such as school, culture, media, peers. We can start with some self-reflection and ask, what do we value ourselves? Do we experience ourselves from the outside primarily, or do we have an inner life? We can also ask ourselves, how do we value our time? Do we relax? Do we have our own life and our own sense of self-worth, or are we overly invested in our child's achievement? How do we talk about what we admire in others? What do we focus on? Do we focus on their wins and achievement, or do we focus on their character and how they treat others? We can counter the cultural messages. Our children and teens are listening closely and are constantly taking in what we think is important. Lastly, as a family, we prioritize family time. If we're not already doing so, we can start to focus on character and not achievement. Kids who feel validated for their character traits actually tend to do better in school. We can have conversations and ask our teens what values are most important to them and ask them what they feel our values are in the home. We might like to think we are communicating one thing when something totally different is being received. We can show love for who our child is and not necessarily for what they accomplish. A research study in 2017 published by the Journal of Youth and Adolescence surveyed 500 middle school students from high-achieving schools and asked them to rank values their parents prioritized. Three of the values focused on achievement, good college, excel academically, have a successful career, and three were on character traits, to be respectful, helpful, and kind to others. Adolescents who believed that both of their parents valued character traits as much or more than achievement exhibited better outcomes at school, greater mental health, and less rule-breaking behavior than peers who believe their parents were primarily achievement-minded. So we can focus on progress over outcomes. We can reconsider priorities, maybe less driving to and from and more sitting down and talking or eating together. We can learn to really listen with the intention of understanding and not to respond or correct. We can create time and space for this communication. This is the best way to counter some of what is coming in through the culture. When parents are doing this increasing communication and connection, it makes it much less likely that their child is going to resist the limits that they set, for example, for curfews and such. Ultimately, as parents in these modern times, we can get really comfortable with not being mainstream. Mainstream culture is working against the well-being of our children starting in their infancy. So don't be afraid to be that parent. It's the parents that are taking their cues from the culture that are feeling the loss of their children. Lastly, we can apologize if we feel we've communicated or made choices that have adversely impacted our teen. It's never too late to apologize. As far as the culture, we can debunk some of the myths and let our teens know that attending a prestigious college is not linked to job satisfaction or well-being. Engagement and fit matter the most. 
This has been shown through research. Despite everything they're hearing, there is not one narrow path to success. We can teach our teens what is being learned through research about happiness and those who are the happiest. And we can teach them that those individuals live and enjoy the present while still having goals to work towards the future. So they're not hedonistic and only living in the present, and they're not on the rat race constantly chasing the horizon that only ends in retirement someday. So if you have a teen struggling, really consider this as an opportunity to shift these values and these mindsets and teach them to discover what they love to do while still working in a healthy way towards goals. We can also hold up examples that are in the public eye. People like Harry Miller, the former Ohio State University football player who recently retired from football for mental health reasons. By sharing his story about depression and suicidal thinking, he is helping redefine what it means to be courageous and successful. Such stories can be a good opportunity for parents to start these conversations with their teens. So what can schools do? And firstly, I would say schools can look closely at Finland. Their model of education is much more humane and holistic, and they are outperforming everyone else. They don't have standardized tests. They don't promote competition. They focus on happy, harmonious, and healthy students. They start the school day later, have a shorter school day. They have less homework, fewer classes, longer breaks, more fresh air, they are less regimented, and overall their students have less stress. The focus is on learning and growth, not on achievement and competition. And again, their model is working, and ours is not. By the way, this is something else that we can share with our teens to help them think more critically about their environment and about the lifestyle they may want to help create for themselves so that they can be happier and paradoxically more successful. High schools can start to make the college admissions process more humane. A project called Turning the Tide Initiative is intent on de-escalating pressure, published a letter two years ago with a commitment from 140 admission deans promising students they wouldn't be penalized if high schools limited the number of advanced classes they could take. They also said that two to three meaningful extracurricular activities are sufficient. They're also working towards more equity in admissions since students in lower-performing schools often lack access to advanced classes. Schools can also help students understand meaningful extracurricular activities. They can make sports and music more enjoyable and consider hiring coaches who are more holistic and who care more about their role in the students' lives beyond the wins. And again, they can remove some of those conflict of interest around um, personal and professional achievement for coaches and instructors and administrators. Schools can, and I would argue should, have a happiness curriculum and teach faculty and students What is being learned about people and institutions who are thriving? So what can we do about undermethylation? Though I'm all about addressing root causes such as undermethylation, if someone's symptoms are especially severe and maybe they're even suicidal or can't function, 
I mean, certainly if someone is suicidal, then they need to be evaluated immediately and preferably in a, at a hospital setting in the event that they need admission. But such individuals whose symptoms are especially severe may need medication, specifically medication that increases serotonin activity. My own work and treatments, however, focus on addressing things like methylation. And if someone is on medication, we can still address these underlying root causes such as methylation. And the way that we do that is using specific nutrient protocols to account for the deficiencies that are present from the genetically acquired imbalance. So specific nutrients would include things like SAM-E and or methionine, antioxidants, and there's a number of other supportive nutrients. And as I mentioned previously, often individuals with undermethylation have other imbalances such as high copper, high pyrroles that need to be addressed. Because most undermethylated individuals have an excessive amount of folate already, we recommend avoiding folate supplementation. This could be on a label folic acid, folate, methyl tetrahydrofolate. Most multivitamins are going to have a form of folate. Some foods are enriched with folate, and we would recommend an avoidance of these as well. And we encourage a higher protein diet because methyl is from protein. And I'll mention here, the way we evaluate someone's methylation status, it's usually fairly obvious by their symptoms and traits. However, there is a whole blood histamine that is a way to measure, and then there's also a methylation panel. Both of these are blood tests. The panel is a kit that generally insurance doesn't cover. The whole blood histamine usually is covered, and both of these can be useful. Obviously, there are high-achieving teens who thrive and enjoy happy and emotionally rewarding adolescence. However, it's important to not be too quick to assume someone is happy as a high-achieving teen or an adult in a high-professional status. I say this because people who are under-methylated tend to have a calm demeanor because of that low serotonin activity and they are the least likely to communicate when they are feeling depressed or anxious. They are the people who will appear to be fine even when they're not, and because they have been rewarded for their accomplishments, they may have a strong sense of shame for anything that seems incongruent with those successes, such as depression, anxiety, or addiction. Before I go, I'd like to comment briefly on my own personal experience with this I was a fairly driven teen, though I wouldn't describe my family as affluent, the overall population of the area around the school was. Not only did it carry the distinction of being a highly rated high school, it also carried the distinction along with two nearby high schools as having the highest suicide rate in the country. While it was a stressful, competitive school environment, it was also in a community that drew parents who were driven and likely undermethylated, who could afford to live there and who moved to that community because of its highly rated schools. And of course, this wasn't everyone, but certainly there was a draw. I would expect such communities to have a preponderance of undermethylation. That doesn't mean that everyone would have brain related symptoms, 
but the vulnerability to depression, anxiety, and addiction, I would expect to be higher. As with all these podcasts, I hope that something here challenges your assumptions, not only about mental health and mental illness, but also about our culture and the influences we're all being impacted by. If you know someone this may be helpful for, maybe a family with a teen who is struggling, or really any family with a high-achieving child, or a professional who works with teens, whether in the medical or mental health community. This information might be particularly useful to school counselors or even school administrators. As I mentioned, I have a previous podcast on undermethylation and also the work of Dr. William Walsh. And I have a podcast on strengthening the right hemisphere in a left brain world. And this would be particularly relevant to the topic I've covered today, as many undermethylated people are very left brained. If you'd like more information on root causes of brain related symptoms, please visit my website at Courtney Snyder, MD. And while you're there, you might consider subscribing to my newsletter. And if you'd like to help me get this type of information out into the world, please share or comment if you're on Apple Podcast, or like and engage in some way on social media sites that I'm on, such as Facebook and Instagram, where I share other information as well. I look forward to connecting with you on one of those sites or in a future podcast. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.